You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. Um, Our podcast show has slowly become the number one searched podcast show on this particular subject where it pertains to divorce and Christianity. And so I want to thank you all for being a listener to our shows. Um, This show was designed for Christians that are divorced. And it came about as a result of me uh, questioning a lot of teachings that I've heard, things that just didn't add up. And as I began to dig not only through the scriptures, um, but I needed better understanding of the laws of Moses, the Levitical law. And as I began to read through a lot of the writings of the rabbis and the Torah and uh, even things taught through the Sanhedrin um, or the Talmud, I found that a lot of things lined up in the scriptures, but did not line up with a lot of the teachings that I was hearing. So I began to share a lot of my findings with pastor friends um, to their surprise was not familiar with a lot of the information that I was sharing with them. And in light of that information, it caused me to look through a completely different lens, not only at the teachings of Jesus, because all of his teachings center around the law of Moses, um, but it also caused me to look at the teachings of Paul through a different lens because he was a Pharisee and one who was well-versed in the law, one who knew how to argue the law. And so um, I'm basically taking this platform to share with you a lot of my findings on this particular subject. I think it'll be very helpful and beneficial for those who have experienced divorce, but even for those that have not experienced divorce, Um, If we're going to read the scriptures with any sort of accuracy and understanding, it's important that we understand the Levitical law. And so on today, um, I did an episode, episode 19, Why God Hates Divorce. And in that episode, we took time looking at Malachi chapter 2. I do want to spend a little bit of time on that particular chapter on today or even on the book of Malachi But I want to deal with another point I think that is important um, as a opposite sort of argument in regards to most people's conclusion regarding Malachi chapter 2. And so this is episode 21, and this episode is entitled, God Made Them Divorce Their Wives. So let's begin here. Um, When I have dialogued with ministers um, even Christians, and I've asked, or we've we've ventured into the topic of divorce, which is a very taboo topic in the Christian field. Um, even this morning, I'm listening to Christian radio, the minister on the radio, um, even though the topic had nothing to do with his subject, mentioned marriage and divorce. And he talked about the divorce rate there in California and how high the divorce rate is. And he said that he believes it's a result. Um, He said he admits that he's not a theologian. 
He's not an expert on the subject, but he believes that one of the causes of the high rate of divorce, especially among Christians, is Christians that marry the unsaved. And so he says that there is no reason and for no cause that a Christian should marry an unbeliever. And so I sat for a few minutes to think, and this, this is one of the angles I want to really, really push on extremely hard in today's episode. I've often heard teachings along these lines, and then my question then is, is that scriptural? Now, you might be listening and say, of course it is. And then we say, um, and we can quote a scripture. Here's one. Here's a great scripture. Uh, what fellowship has light with darkness? And then we can point to the scripture of being unequally yoked. And uh, we could probably find a few more scriptures along these lines. But then my next question is, do we have any examples where there might be a complete opposite um, example that does not line up with what we feel is the, the definitive conclusion regarding this question. So my mind began to go through the scriptures to think of any examples where maybe in the New Testament, in the New Testament, we don't deal too much with their private lives. And so there's not a lot of information regarding Paul. We know Paul was a Pharisee. And for that reason, he probably more than likely was married. There's not much said about Paul's wife. But the Pharisees believed strongly in the very first commandment given to man to be fruitful and to multiply. And so they were given to marriage. And Jewish men married rather young compared to maybe our, our current societies. Um, but they're often married in their late teens, early 20s. The women are married uh, soon after they reach the age of maturity, so somewhere around 13, 14, even 15 years old. Um, these women were being given away in marriage. And so understanding that culture, there's probably a high likely, likelihood that Paul was definitely married. And yet we don't have much details regarding even the disciples. We know that Peter was married, um, but there's not a whole lot on their personal lives. And we have the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, um, but the, the telling of the stories of a lot of our mothers and fathers in the faith, those that went before us, those that we find in Hebrews chapter 11 as the, the heroes of faith, their stories are found in the Old Testament. And so I began to go through the Old Testament to think, are there any examples uh, possibly of God telling someone to marry someone that was not an Israelite? And of course, we have the harlot Rahab, who was not an Israelite. Um, we find that there are many proselytes, those that converted and joined the faith. And we do know that in the Levitical law, that they were required to treat those that converted as those that were blood-born. And so those that came into the Israelite, made themselves a part of the Israelite nation, they were required to learn the Levitical law. Um, everyone that was born an Israelite knew the law of Moses. They rehearsed it rather often. 
They were required to read the Talmud as well. Um, so these were not people that were uneducated regarding the laws as many of us are today. We don't know the laws of our land. We don't know the laws of our city. We don't know the laws of our state. Um, as I've talked to people, even on the subject of marriage or divorce, we don't know the laws that pertain uh, to either one. We're very ignorant when it comes to the laws, but Israelites were not. They were required by Moses to learn the law. And so they all understood the law, but when it came to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, um, the scribes, these were people that were given to the law and they would have debates regarding the law. And so we would think today as those that are judges, you know, with the Supreme, with the Supreme Court, they write uh, their, their, their verdicts regarding a trial. And if you read through the verdicts, you got different viewpoints and they're citing the law as to where their viewpoint was taken from. And so all of it is lawful, but yet there are different angles at which it can be argued. And that is what was transpiring with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're not debating the law, um, right versus wrong, but they're, they're debating a lot of the nuances that are connected to the law. And so um, one idea was uh, uh, Rahab, and of course, she became a blood, part of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Um, but then another story crossed my mind was Samson. And so the story of Samson, in the very beginning, he married a Philistine woman. And that was God's desire, as part of God's plan and will, that he would marry that woman. And of course, we can make the argument that God was using that situation um, as Samson was called to be a judge over the nation of Israel, to bring judgment um, against the Philistines and bring deliverance uh, to the Israelites. But then we also have the story of Hosea in which God required him to marry a harlot. And so I would assume that the woman was not an Israelite because women were not permitted to be an Israelite woman and be a harlot. There are several laws that pertain to um, harlotry in the scripture. And so one was that it was viewed as a shameful, shameful profession. And to treat a Israelite girl like a prostitute was considered a very grave offense. You can find that in the scriptures in Genesis 34, verse 31. Uh, the Israelites were warned against prostituting their daughters. And that's Leviticus 19, verse 29. Priests were not allowed to marry a prostitute. That's Leviticus 21, 7. And there was a punishment um, for a priest's daughter who became a prostitute because they degraded their fathers. And so they were uh, to be put to death. That's Leviticus 21, verse nine. And so we have Hosea, who God tells to go marry a woman that is given to prostitution. And so the, the conclusion would be that she was not an Israelite woman. Um, but what's interesting is, this has always been my argument, and you'll find this not only in the book, once the book is finished, but me as a teacher, I always teach from this viewpoint. We draw these very harsh, rigid conclusions. Don't ever marry someone that is not saved. And then I say, but what did God say? And people say, but what about the Bible? And I can find usually arguments on both sides in the scripture. And so the voice of God 
would never violate the scriptures. The problem is man does not know the scriptures like we think we do. And so we draw these very rigid, concrete conclusions regarding a matter based on a scripture. But then if you read the scripture from cover to cover, there might be an example in the Bible that differs from your concrete conclusion. My question is, what do you do at that point? Do you change in light of the scriptures? We got two very, they seemingly opposite conclusions. Do you change and say, okay, so there must be another answer as opposed to what I thought or what I believe? Or do we just cause the other example, find some fault in it so that it lines up with what I believe? And in my walking with God in the last, I want to say, 25 years, 30 years that I've really walked with him, there's been so many areas of my, my conclusions where God said, your thinking is wrong. But then sometimes he won't give me the answer. He requires me to begin searching. And then I find scriptures that are the complete opposite of what I believed and what I thought. And so I've had to shift my belief I have to shift my thinking. And so I'm laying all this out because in Malachi chapter two is where we have this scripture that many will quote in regards to God's stance on divorce. And so in Malachi chapter two at verse 16, um, I'll read it from the King James Version. It says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away for one covereth violence with his garment saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. The NLT version says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And as I ask many that quote this particular scripture, I asked him, what was the reason why God made that statement? What was going on in the chapter of, or in the book of Malachi, to which most people do not know? And it's only four chapters. Um, But the prophet Malachi was sent uh, to the nation to give warning to them. um, And there were several practices or things that they were doing that God found fault with. And so beginning in chapter one, they were offering worship to God through sacrifices. They were bringing the turtle doves and the different animals as required. But what they were doing was they were bringing animals that were not of quality. They were required to bring um, the firstborn. They're required to bring uh, animals with no blemish. And in this case, they're bringing animals that were lame. So they're not following the system as God had required and put in place. And so God sends Malachi to the nation of Israel to bring correction to the nation. When you get to Malachi chapter two, you realize the men were marrying foreign women, so non-Israelite women that were not conforming to the faith. And so here they are dabbling in areas that were forbidden by God. And then we get to the passage where it begins to talk about divorce God is addressing the priest. 
He's not addressing, and I've heard people say, well, he's addressing the, the, the men, the, the Hebrew men. It's not true. He was addressing the priests who had put away their wives. And God was reminding them of the covenant that they had entered into with the, the woman or, or the wife of their youth. By putting them away, they weren't having children with their wives. And so God was reminding them that the call through marriage was that they would produce righteous seed. This is what was been pleasing, or this was uh, what God desired through their marriages, but they weren't doing that. And so God was explaining to them by putting away your wife, you're being cruel to your wives. You're not handling them as you should. Your, your conduct is treacherous. He actually referred to them in another scripture in that passage as being unfaithful to their wives. I don't know all the details. The scripture doesn't reveal all the details. Um, but there's so much there that uh, helps us understand that God's stance regarding divorce is a result of the cruelty that people experience in marriage. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't get divorced. If people treated each other the way that they should, it would never lead to a divorce. And so this scripture really defines for us. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 describes for us the effect of divorce. It causes violence upon the skirt. It, it overwhelms uh, the divorced spouse. And of course, back then, only the woman could be divorced by the husband. But by today's standards, the, the person that experienced the divorce, the cutting away, they're the ones that experience such a, it's a spiritual violence that takes place um, that requires healing from the trauma, um, healing from the effect of the divorce. And you talk to people that's experienced divorce, and it could have happened five years, 10 years ago, but they're still discussing um, even now the rippling effects of the divorce that took place, whether it was the emotional effect, the financial effect. Sometimes people get over the emotional part, but the financial is still affecting them. I've heard some financially they're fine, but emotionally they never really bounce back. I talked to one lady um, after her divorce, never even dated again. And at that point, she had, hadn't dated in probably 20, 30 years. Um, but to her, she said the effect of what she experienced was so traumatizing um, that it just, it just put her in a place where she's been searching for healing and have been unable to find it. This is the end result of divorce. So people say from this passage, and even when I'm explaining, you would say, well, God's conclusion would be that divorce is wrong. But then I would raise the question for you, is there anywhere in the scripture where God instructed someone to get divorced? If our conclusion is God hates divorce, then there shouldn't be any scripture where God has instructed someone to get divorced. As I've presented this to many ministers, many have said to me there are no scriptures in which God has instructed anyone to get divorced. God would not do such a thing, especially based on this passage here in Malachi 2, verse 16. But then I have to raise the question about the book of Ezra. And so... Ezra is not a very popular book. Um, most people 
I haven't heard it preached much in a lot of the services that I've I've attended or shows, you know, podcasts, radio shows I've listened to on the radio. But there is a story in the book of Ezra. And beginning at Ezra chapter 9, what we find is there are mixed marriages where the nation of Israel had married those a part of the other nations. And in doing so, it was an abomination unto God. Not the marriage, but the fact that they began following the ways of this other nation. And so they had taken these daughters. This is Ezra chapter 9, verse 2. They had taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the house of those lands. Yes, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. So now we have Ezra as he's understanding the mission, the assignment God has given him. He was required as he is seeing God's hand move upon the nation. Um, as a prophet, he began to seek the Lord on, in regards to the remnant as God is bringing salvation. He's bringing deliverance. And so this trespass became one of the issues at the forefront of what Ezra is now required to address. In Ezra chapter 9, verse 10, we find Ezra praying and saying, Oh, now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. Verse 11, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now, therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. This, what they have done, was now going to affect the next generation and affect the inheritance that was to be left to their children. And so Ezra begins praying, seeking direction from God on what they are to do. In Ezra chapter 10, it says at verse 1, Ezra prayed he, when he had confessed, weeping, casting himself down before the house of, of God. There assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men, women, and children, for the people wept sorely. And then we have one of the men that came to Ezra and he says, we have trespassed against our God. We've taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is a hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives. They said, let us make a covenant with God to divorce our wives and such as are born to them. Talking about their children. Let's divorce our children as well. According to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. They told at verse four, they, they told Ezra to rise for this matter belongs unto you. We also will be with you. Be of good courage and do it. They asked Ezra to seek the Lord for an answer 
in regards to what they are to do. So Ezra goes and he prays at verse six. He went into the chamber. He did not eat any bread. He didn't drink any water for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. At verse 10, we're going to jump down to verse 10. The priest stood up, Ezra, and he says to them, you have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure. Separate yourself from the people of the land and from the strange wives. God commanded them to get divorced. And so now we have a passage of scripture. As people have said, God would never tell anyone to get divorced. Now we find in Ezra chapter nine and chapter 10, where God is requiring the Israelite men to divorce their wives. So now we do have a biblical passage, an example in the scriptures we could point to and say, we do have an example, even though God hates divorce. And he told those priests in Malachi, basically to get their houses in order. Get themselves together. I hate divorce. I hate what you're doing to your wife. You should have listened to your spirits. Your spirits was telling you the right answer, was telling you what you should do. But then in Ezra, he's not telling them to do that. He's not telling them to get their house in order. He's telling them to obey the commandments of the Lord and divorce their wives. Very interesting passage. So what ends up happening is people will hear this particular story in Ezra and then try to fit it into their doctrine into their belief system. They'll take this story and try to find an angle. They might say, well, God permitted it because they married strange women. So then are you saying that God permits divorce when people marry people they shouldn't be married to? Because now your whole doctrine is starting to fall apart. It's not about what you believe, it's not about what I believe. We have to weigh things out according to the scriptures. When I say that, I mean from Genesis to Revelation, not taking one verse and building a doctrine out of it. I had to learn to adjust my thinking, my mindset, my understanding regarding the ways of God and things that I believed were true. I made a lot of adjustments. Thank you for joining us on today. Until next time, I pray that you be blessed. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.